there are so many more people that are awake, that recognize what's happening, that there are so many arms and shoulders to lean on, to hold me up personally and all of us up. You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future, an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation who want to nurture heroic leaders for environmental change. Just like you, we want to create a better, greener, fairer future for the kids in our life. Hi, I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer, and parent, and co-host of this podcast, alongside the brilliant Helen Hill. Hi, I'm Helen, and I'm an educator, author, and designer. Hello, and welcome to the Hope Act Thrive podcast. Today's episode is with Harriet Sugarman, the 2021 Water Spirit Suzanne Gollis Wardy, a 2020 New York City climate hero, and a 2019 featured speaker at the Global Engagement Summit at United Nations headquarters. Executive Director of Climate Mama, founder of the NYC Climate Reality Chapter, and award-winning author of How to Talk to Your Kids About Climate Change, Turning Angst into Action. She is an influencer and connector in the climate movement. Harriet is an economist and professor and sits on numerous boards, including as board chair of Young Voices for the Planet. She is also mama to young adults, Elliot and Alana. In this conversation, we'll talk about having climate conversations with your kids, how much is too much, and turning angst into action. So let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Harriet. Thank you. I am really thrilled to be here. So thanks for inviting me. Fabulous. Very excited to have this conversation after recently reading your book and finding it so inspiring. So wonderful to get to have this chat with you. So your book is a powerful guide for parents to build grit and hope in the face of the climate crisis. The epigraph of your book starts with some words by Carl Sagan, and I'd like to read out those words here to center our conversation. Anything else you're interested in is not going to happen if you can't breathe the air and drink the water. Don't sit this one out. Do something. You're by accident of fate alive at an absolutely critical moment in the history of our planet. I just feel like these words absolutely hit you between the eyeballs. Harriet, how do we awaken parents to our climate emergency? Yes, isn't that the, the question for all of us? And I think, Sally, one thing to remember is that we each, as a parent, come at it from different backgrounds, different uh, places, different points in our lives. And so uh, there's something at the UN that we talk about is in equal but differentiated responsibilities. So some of us are going to be able to take giant steps. Some of us are going to be able to take small steps. And some of us just may be getting through the day. So I think the idea that we're going to awaken everyone to be that mama bear um, or papa bear is something that we need to step back from and recognize that within our circles of influence, we can awake many people, but it just won't be everyone that has that opportunity or the ability to take and do as many things as we as, as some of us can. So in my book, I also talk about Erica Chenoweth, who is a, a, um, did a study about systems change as it related to political conflicts. And she tells us that really you need only three and a half percent of a population to create movement change. And so I like to hold on to that and recognize too that 
we, while we need everyone to wake up and be aware, it may not be that everyone can come in at the same time. I think that is such a important point to make. And I do love that whole concept of the 3.5% because it really does make you feel like it's much more achievable if you need this portion of society to be really involved. And it's very true that different people have all sorts of challenges in their lives and things going on. And, you know, there'll be different points in people's lives too, where they may be more involved. And particularly as parents, I think it's often a time when people have so much on their plates and they're juggling a lot of different things. And I've, you know, seen personally as well, people who are very involved in the climate movement as parents needing to dip in and out as, as life changes and, and things, you know, um, really pile up as well. So I think it's a very important point you make. And just related to that, the climate crisis can feel so huge and so overwhelming. And so a common reaction that I see that I think is really understandable is that people, you know, do tend to just want to sometimes look away and they they really feel like they can't face it and, you know, turn to things that numb them, whether it's Netflix or, or whether it's comfort food, whatever it might be for them. And so I guess... You know, do you feel like the people that are needing to look away, do you feel like we need to try and be encouraging those people to be looking more directly at the fire? Or do you feel like, you know, there's certain groups of people that we should be focusing efforts on more to engage? Yeah, it's also, it's such a good question. And it's part of that bigger, you know, whole story. And we do need to wake up more people and our house is on fire and we are living the climate emergency and all of that is our reality. And so once you wake up to that, there is no looking away. However, we also need to, I think, remove the guilt off of our shoulders because sometimes even I think, especially those of us that really get it, you feel, you you feel guilty on certain things that you do or, oh, I shouldn't have done this or, you know, did I, you know, turn my lights out or do this? We need huge systemic change at this moment in time. And so we need to understand that as well. And there will be people that will never wake up. They just won't face it. They can't. But I think more and more so because Mother Nature's not allowing us to look away and our children are asking us questions. And so we have to face that reality. And I think having groups like Be the Future, many groups that are out there that help people have a place to land once they see this or when they want to explore to have put a toe in or to jump in with both feet, to have books to read, to have places to go so that they can learn. And again, some of us will jump in with both feet and we're ready to run forward and others are just, you know, moving one step at a time. And I think we have to make room for all of that. Yeah, that's absolutely spot on. I mean, I, you know, I, I can see parallels with other areas of life as well, where just having that community helps you move forward in things, whether it's, you know, running a business or all those different types of things. I've had quite a few conversations about that lately, but um, I think certainly as well, like the, when we say about burying your head a little bit and hiding from fear, there's, I can see it in myself sometimes that once I've done that for a little bit, I almost need a prompt or a reminder to get me back in it. So, Things like, like you say, like our initiative or books or whether it's a program you watch, they all help you to then kind of relight something in yourself, I think, as well, don't they? So it's good to have that that community to guide you along. But when you have actually spent 
a decade building climate mama, which I mean, I'll, I'll be so happy when we get to a decade, Sally, I don't know about you, but, and it's an organisation that helps parents to learn more about the climate crisis. So why is climate education so important and particularly for the parents, the adults? It's so interesting, Helen, I've seen over that decade and more, we are moving farther and faster into the climate emergency. We're living it now, there's no denying it. We were living it 10 years ago as well, but both the climate science and as I mentioned before, mother nature, right, just won't let us forget. So I think that it's our job as a parent, right? Just as we have to learn to talk about difficult subjects with our children, before we can have that conversation, we have to educate ourselves because there is so much noise out there. And unfortunately, especially where I live here in the United States, politics gets in the way as well. And we lose, not only we do, do we lose sight of the facts, the facts that are really there are hidden and misinformation is shared. So I think that it's our duty and our responsibility as a parent to educate ourselves, to be able to have those conversations. And, you know, the whole idea then of being able to educate our children, which is a whole another step they needed in their schools, they needed at every age moving forward. But for us, in our own role as a parent, I believe that strongly that that is our responsibility. And again, as we started off, some parents are going to be able to do that. And others, whether it's dealing with small kids, work life balance, etc., you know, may not be able to jump in as fully as others. Yeah, I love that you say that. And um, it is incredibly important. And, you know, it is something that we need to really try and rise to that challenge. And so I know you've got a Climate Mama motto that you refer to in your book. Is it possible just to talk us through that and how it can help guide parents in approaching this with their children? Thanks, Sally. Yes. And our motto is something that probably you and you know everyone was taught by their parents in some way, shape, or form. And it's really three simple concepts that we tell the truth, that actions speak louder than words, and not to be afraid. And so taking the first one, telling the truth, when your child asks you about the climate crisis, whatever age they're at, we need to confront that with the truth. It will be a a different story at different ages, but it's something that's real, that's happening, that likely they're hearing about or seeing or experiencing in one way, shape, or form. We need to tell the truth. Uh, actions speak louder than words. Again, you're all about that with Be the Future. What can we take? What can we do that shows our children and ourselves and builds up our active hope? Because there's different kinds, we can't just hope in a vacuum, but shows that we actually can make change. We have agency. And then the last one, don't be afraid. That's, that's a tougher one, um, I think, because when we're faced with the reality of what's happening, of understanding that we, have human, we as humans have created this huge change on our planet, that's, that's, as you said in the earlier question, it's, it's overwhelming at times. And recognizing that and allowing ourselves to be in that space of being overwhelmed, but then coming out of it and taking those actions is, I think, also an important education and opportunity for ourselves, too. So we can't be afraid. We can't hide from the reality that's happening. But we also need to understand the gravity of it and that we're 
currently living in emergency. And we've got to get comfortable with that, as I talk about in my book, in a very probably uncomfortable way for many of us. Yeah, look, I, I have to say there are certain parts of your book that were quite uncomfortable. And I think this this subject matter, it, it's going to be. And I think if you really get into the the depths of it and you're honest about it, then it is, you know, it, it induces a lot of different feelings. And some of those feelings are really quite tough to navigate. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot more discussion now around all sorts of emotions, whether it's termed eco-anxiety or whether it's about fear and grief and powerlessness. There's a lot more that uh, clinical psychologists are starting to talk about, that a lot more activists are starting to talk about this. And I think, you know, it, it's something that very much is a individual thing with how to navigate it, how to try and move through it. But I know personally, I find that as Helen was saying, I think before, you know, dipping in and out of these different emotions. And some days I know I feel just very much in that space of active hope and just making a lot of things happen. And, you know, there's a lot of optimism and action feeding the positivity you feel and really feeling like you can do it. And other days, I think it is a lot harder. And um, especially when you're reading some of those very difficult headlines and, and really, you know, seeing how this is playing out. So, I think there's also some of that acceptance around realizing that that this is going to be quite the roller coaster and and finding those different ways to keep navigating through those emotions as best you can. And I'd love to hear from you Harriet because you have been so immersed in this space for such a long time. Personally, what do you find those things in your life that really help you navigate to that place back of active hope? Thanks Sally. You know what, there are many these days, uh, just as there are many overwhelming moments, right? When we are living extreme weather events, when we are hearing from friends and family how complicated and difficult things are. I really feel, and I've been in this movement and in this work on the climate crisis for decades now, um, the last working specifically with and around the parent movement, we are growing um, in such a big way, uh, not just the climate movement, but everyone's way of seeing and understanding what's happening. And I used to feel in many ways sort of when I had this wake up aha moment that really what's happening, that so much rested on my, my shoulders and not, I mean, me personally, but just those of us that were in the know that really understand the depth of the crisis. And I feel so much more peace at now that there are so many more people that are awake, that recognize what's happening, that there are so many arms and shoulders to lean on, to hold me up personally and all of us up, that we can take a break. We can have those moments where we need to step back uh, and take care of ourselves. And I think that that is something important to remind our children as well, because as, as we hear our children's voices, as we listen to the youth climate movement, as they have a place at the table, I meet many young people who really feel that the weight is on them. And I think that a lot of adults have thrown that onto them too, have said, well, you know, the kids are awake, it's their problem, it'll be their future. And that is really unfair. It must be intergenerational. I see it that way, and that gives me a lot of hope and keeps me going. 
So I love what you're saying there, Harry, about it being it needing to be intergenerational. I think it absolutely has to be, and it cannot all rest on the shoulders of the next generation. We absolutely need to be there equipping them to be part of building this better future and to really be awakened to things and, and, and shaping a much better, different world to come. But it's very much the responsibility of the adults in the room to take dramatic, meaningful action on this um, today. And in terms of that, could you talk us through, I guess, the different stages that parents can go through as they come to grips with the depths of our climate emergency, how you often see that playing out? Sure. What I talk about that in, in my book, I actually use the five stages of grief that back in the late 60s, there was a psychiatrist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and she uh, identified the five stages of grief that terminally ill patients go through. And I think for us as parents, working through our emotions as it relates to coming to terms with the emergency of the climate crisis, really we go through those very similar uh, five stages. So the first is denial, right? Where we're like, oh my gosh, once you wake up to this reality, you think that can't be true. The scientists must be wrong. This is happening way in the future. It can't be happening to me or my children. And so that's the denial part. And then anger, right? You get so mad why hasn't someone done something if we've known this if this is happening something should be happening to address it in a really big scale and so we get mad so that denial then anger and then bargaining right you make deals with yourself well i am going to stop eating meat i'm going to turn the lights out every time i leave a room i'm never going to take a flight again so that you are bargaining with yourself of what you can do and then the fourth stage is depression, right? It's terribly sad. We're out of time. I can't catch my breath. I'm, I'm not sleeping. How am I going to protect my children? So those are the first four, denial, anger, bargaining, depression. And then her last stage of grief, which is where I think perhaps the three of us are speaking for myself, is this moment of acceptance where you realize what's happening how emergent it is, you understand completely what's happening, but you also understand too that we have to get comfortable with that in a very uncomfortable way. And that there's no one person or one government that's gonna solve this for this. We are gonna be living the climate emergency for the rest of our lives and will our children, but it can be less worse than it will be if we do nothing. And that is what must move us from acceptance sort of to resolve and then to action. So I add two more um, stages beyond the grief to our actions. Yeah, that's, that's a really powerful way of, of looking at it because I think it's something that we can, certainly as adults, we can relate to that, that process. And I, I think one thing that sticks with us is another powerful element of what you talk about is the notion of finding your climate agency to help you do that so as you you term it in the book finding your superpower finding that discrete part of that jigsaw that you really want to see solved and where you have maybe skills or passion or influence so what guidance would you give to parents who are trying to find that superpower thanks helen you know in a similar way that we advise our children to move through their passions to their actions i think that we have to look at 
our, you know, ourselves, where is, as you said, where is our circle of influence? Is it our immediate family? Is it our community? Is it at our children's school? Uh, is it at our workplace? And, you know, begin with those circles and also move through what is it that, as you said, where are your skills but, and take your passions too. What are you passionate about? So, because when you talk through what's happening through your passions, then you are engaging other people in a very active way. And so I think that we can find agency when we look internally at where, where are our strengths, where, where are our passions as it relates to, uh, and then relate it back to the climate crisis. So it's making that connection that sometimes we don't make. Um, and I think that there's opportunities for all of us when we think about it that way. I love that. And that idea that there really is opportunities out there um, for everyone and that you can approach this in such different ways. I mean, I know even with this podcast, Helen and I are having such a fabulous time getting to speak to so many different people in this space and really encouraging to see so many different ways that people come at this. And um, I guess to shift gears a little bit then, so moving on to how we really engage our kids on this, where do we first start with talking with our kids about climate change? I know particularly, you know, a lot of parents have said to me over the last little while that they're quite concerned about terrifying their kids, particularly in the context we've had of the last year and a half of the pandemic, which is laid upon, you know, various different challenges in life, social injustices, various things, you know, already happening in people's lives that are quite challenging. Where do we begin to start in this space? It's such a good and important question, and it's going to depend. There's no one direct answer. I think you know your child best, and you need to start. We all need to start when they ask questions, and we need to, as we talked about with our climate mama motto, to stop, start by telling them the truth. And again, that conversation is going to be different with your four-year-old than it will be with your 14-year-old. But we need to also not only answer when they ask, because then we know they're ready, but take opportunities when you're out with your children, when you're at home to engage them in different ways so that you bring the reality of the climate crisis home, but you do it in a managed way. Sally, you're going to Australia, and I know you've written about and talked about the horrible wildfires that happen. Well, your children are aware of that, whatever age they're at, because their families experienced it. They're, they're, they know it, uh, again, almost as if through osmosis, but really because their friends are talking about it. You're talking about it. There's news media about it. So how can you help them enter that space, but in, again, a managed way so that it's age appropriate and appropriate to your child? And again, you will know that. And part of that, as we talked about before, is being educated yourself. And I think those steps prior to having those conversations are also really important. Yeah, and I, th I think it's because we obviously weren't a generation that were talked to about this necessarily as young children, you know, the, the odd person might have been, but certainly I, I wasn't, and, you know, like you say, 10 years ago, we knew about it, but we weren't talking about it to this level. How can we actually approach things with very young children then under five? What's the best way to to phrase it with them and how can we do it with them in our day-to-day -day lives? So I think, Helen, to you know, the question before about 
terrifying our kids or scaring them. Our youngest children, we shouldn't put them in that position at all. We need to help them focus on the wonders of nature, the beauties and intricacies of our planet. Um, when you're out for a walk, is there a flower poking through the crack in the sidewalk? You know, can they watch an ant carry a stick? Let them be amazed by our planet. Let them be amazed by the ocean, by digging in the dirt, by getting dirty and help them love nature, help them love our planet. And then that brings them closer to wanting to find out ways to protect it. But, you know, again, even with our youngest children, you, we can convey and help them understand stewardship, right? The choices that we make, the interconnectedness of us with nature, we are nature. Uh, if you're active as an, from an activist point of view, you go to marches, you go to rallies, bring your youngest children with you. You go to your school board to talk, you know, to see what's happening in terms of climate education, bring the little ones with you. And they may forget uh, that they were there with you, but you've taken pictures, you've done something that that becomes part of your family story, your family lore. They were there when they were two years old. They wrote a letter, sent a drawing, a coloring to their member of parliament um, because you were sending a letter saying you wanted to see climate action. There are many books now, many more than when we were young, of course, right? It's changed completely, even though there were wonderful books then too. But use books to help you. Use um, play games with them so that they can learn more about the climate crisis. Uh, come up, at, maybe you have family meetings. Um, if you don't, those are awesome things I found anyways in, in our family. And have a climate family meeting. Have your older kids help your younger kids think of positive things that you're going to do. Young children get that, you know, they get messes. They get, if you make a mess, you need to clean it up because you tell them that around the house too. So when we can point out to them how big companies are making messes and they're not cleaning up, how pollution uh, isn't equal, it doesn't impact everyone. Young children really get inequity. They understand, you know, things that aren't fair and you can help them understand more about the climate crisis um, through pointing out some of those inequities. Talk to them about animals they love, right? Lots of kids have an innate connection to nature, to animals. There are ways to tell the story that doesn't create fear or anxiety, but maybe, you know, helps them get indignant about what's happening, you know, in their own three-year-old or four-year-old way. So there are ways to prepare and ways to bring our children in, but we definitely shouldn't be scaring or terrifying our youngest. We need to help bring them along. We need to tell them the truth. We need to help them fall in love with our natural world so they, like we, will do everything they can to protect it. I absolutely agree with you there, Harriet, that it's all about instilling that love of nature. And, you know, studies really show that those that love nature are more inclined to protect it as they grow older. And, and I think just having that being a part of a child's being and part of what feeds them and nourishes their soul is wonderful in so many different ways. And I guess the other thing that I know I've really found too as a parent is 
just the role modeling that you can do, you know, whether you're bringing more plants into your diet or you are, you know, recycling or whether you're walking more, whatever those smaller actions might be that create those ripples of change and, you know, really help you to live your your values if this is where you're, where you're heading. Those things and your child seeing those things, you know, it really just helps to, to start conversations about, you know, do, doing these things perhaps in a different way to, to what they might be seeing at school or others. But, you know, it's another way to be looking after the earth. And so I think it can be quite gentle when kids are really young. I guess the big question is, what age do you suggest that you actually do begin to to answer more questions and tell your child more about climate change and and get more into that detail? You know, again, it's going to be there. There's no, you know, at eight start talking to them or at ten start talking to them because it may surprise you very much to hear from your four year old or your five year old questions that they have about the climate emergency. And it may be because you are so involved and you're taking action, you're doing things that they see it around you and, you know, that they're watching. And so they may come to you at a much earlier age than you expect to ask them questions. So I think we have to be prepared for that. Uh, and I hear from many of my colleagues that work in the climate space that it, it surprises them when they're very young, you know, young children do exactly that. Uh, and it's, it's hard to confront because you want to keep that innocence. You want to keep them um, not aware of the terrible things in the world. But, but again, there are ways to bring those things in gently. But I would say that, you know, once they're in grade, if they haven't asked you at a younger age, that once they enter grade school, there will be ways likely in many schools nowadays that that climate education is being brought in, that they'll hear from their friends about something that happens. So there are, you know, I think as, as they are in elementary school, as they're seven, eight, nine, there are ways to bring that conversation into uh, your family conversations. And as you said, Sally, to show them through your actions and then, you know, little by little bring in, how does that relate? How do your actions that you're taking in your own home, in your community at work, relate to the bigger issue of the climate crisis. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess, you know, there, there are definitely components of the climate crisis that are much more visible and readily understandable by young kids. I mean, my son's five. And I know already at school, you know, they've been having assemblies about plastics and about how, you know, try and use less plastic because it gets in the oceans, it could hurt the animals. And, you know, that's that's one part of, of this whole thing around, you know, being manufactured from fossil fuels. But it's... um. It's something, I guess, that is much more readily understandable. And the, one of the solutions around that in terms of litter picking, you know, kids are very much able to get involved in too. And yes, it might not be solving things at the source, but it is very much helping children to really feel like they can be a part of solutions. And it's very visible in terms of cleaning up some of that mess, as you were talking to before, Harriet, and being able to help be a part of that. Yeah, that's so true. Um, but the overwhelming feeling that comes across from the way you talk is the optimism. And at the start of your book, you wrote the words, I remain optimistic, resolved and determined. I stare down my fears and I will myself to be forever hopeful. Is this a conscious choice or was this chosen for you? You know, Helen, it is absolutely a conscious choice because as we've been talking about, we can easily get overwhelmed. And I absolutely at times feel overwhelmed as 
more and more the evidence of what we're doing becomes clear as Mother Earth hammers us over the head with her shouts and warnings that we have changed things. So I consciously choose because science tells us that we still have a chance, that the door is still open, but we know it's swinging shut very quickly. So what we do now matters, and that gives me great hope because I know that if we collectively take action, if we do things to create change now, my children and your children and all of the young people that are born now that didn't create this mess will have a more positive future. We're not going to solve the climate crisis. It's like turning around a big ship like the Titanic. It takes time. Our planet is a very involved and intricate uh, being, but she's also shown us over the past year and a half that she can heal pretty quickly if we get out of the way. So we don't want to get out of the way, right? We want to create a future where our children have an opportunity to thrive. And that gives me hope speaking to both of you, seeing your podcasts and all your work, seeing everything that's happening keeps me optimistic and builds my hope. But that is a conscious choice that I make because I think like everything else, right, hope in a vacuum or being optimistic without actually understanding how that's possible is also not looking at the reality of situations as well. That's so true. And I, and I guess this hope that you talk of and this future you talk of, what do you think the future could look like for our generation, our children's generation, if we're able to steer the world towards this? You know, what, what do you really think we need to be aiming for? Because I guess I feel like there's not necessarily enough um, conversation around what we're really aiming for and painting that picture of what the world could be. So what does that look like for you, Harriet? Well, I love, Sally, that you're, you're called Be the Future, right? The podcast, your work. And we have to see the future. And for me, I think we can see it. Well, personally, for me, I see it on a very personal level. And I see it on a more global scale as well. For me personally, I see my children having successful lives. I see them falling in love and being with someone who loves them as much as I do. I see them finding meaningful work and employ the employment. I see them having enough food and water to not just survive, but to survive, to have lives that are full. And that isn't going to happen if we continue down this road where we don't take change and turn course and get off of this runaway train that's heading for a cliff. I see not just my children, I see the world having a chance humanity having a chance to create a future where all of our children actually can survive and thrive. And we know that we have created situations where there, we've, there are sacrifice zones within our own cities, within our own countries, and around the world. And so bringing in, and I know we can't address everything, but bringing in the inequity of the climate crisis. We are all living it, but it's not impacting us all the same. And so I really see a future where we can make it less severe than it's going to be, where access to water, to access to food, we actually think about that 
as a society and not just think about it. We come up with policies, with plans to create a world where it is a more positive future. And so I think we have to see that. You actually have to see it in your mind's eye to know where we want to get to because we know what we're uh, trying, where we're trying to go. I love your answer to that question, Harriet, and that future that you paint. So I think that's a beautiful spot to wrap up our conversation. And I just want to say a huge thank you from Helen and I for chatting to us. I think this is such an important conversation to have. And I guess this around how we approach this as, as you know, families and, and with young kids um, and as guardians that are, that are really there to, to help raise our kids. Um, this is an incredibly important conversation that comes to the heart of what we're, we're doing at Be The Future. So thank you so much for making the time to chat to us. It's been incredibly insightful. It's such a pleasure to speak with you both and thank you so much for all of your work and it truly does give me hope and helps me see the future and and know that we can be the future. So thank you both. <laughs> Great way to end there. I like that. <laughs> thank you. you. You even got a name in I there. Know. <laughs> Why have we not done that before? I know, my goodness, well done. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us this week. We really hope this episode inspired you. If it did, please review, subscribe and share this episode with a curious friend. It makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you. Oh, and check out the show notes for more details on this episode and our guest. And come say hi to us on Instagram over at bethefuture.earth, where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety into playful action. Let's hope, act and thrive.